0: The Red podcast is brought to you by Mofo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili Technology, temperature controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep inside tracker.com, offering blood, DNA and fitness tracking data all in one place and Organify Whole food, organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show.
1: The addictive part of some of these endurance um, sports, you know, it feels really good. The psychological factor, I think you want it to be hard. Like you really need to push on every one of these there's just because we are saying you're not laying on the floor at the end of these doesn't mean it's easy this is just one experiment that i'm doing now but i've got you know 25 more years of uh, lots of different experiments to try so if something's not working today you know I, i i'm okay with it because i know this is you know the long game that i'm aiming for
0: I want to tell you about Inside Tracker, an awesome new ultra personalized nutrition and lifestyle program that combines data from your comprehensive blood panels, genetic test results and lifestyle and fitness data from a Fitbit, for example, and organizes everything into one super cool online portal of your personal health. I am just getting going with this, and it's awesome. It has everything in one spot. For every blood result, you can click on a blog post or watch a video to learn more about these values. It's a great education in general health and self-quantification, and it was developed by leading scientists in aging, Genetics and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard. The patented Inside Tracker algorithm calculates your so called inner age and it shows each biomarker as either optimized, needs to improve, or at risk. And then you can take precise corrective action with a science backed plan to reach your performance goals. Oh, mercy, people. On my first round of testing, guess what my inner age was? 62! Shocker! Because I just turned 56. I'm sorry. You know what? When I delivered that blood test, I believe I was a little overtired, and several of my biomarkers were deemed to be subpar. So I made some changes as directed. I recovered better, rested, went back, and delivered way better numbers at the next blood test. The Insight Tracker motto is change is an inside job and that is for real you got to keep tabs on this stuff to be at your best and they have an amazing deal just for BRAD podcast listeners they are going to give away a grand prize of fifteen hundred dollars in inside tracker value so to enter all you have to do is go to insidetracker.com Brad Pod, B-R-A-D-P-O-D. Check it out right now at the link and enter the contest. Listeners, I'm so excited to introduce you to Dr. Craig Marker. Oh my gosh, I think this guy is a true sage. And this is a health fitness homework assignment for you to listen to this show very carefully. Yes, we are going to get a bit scientific at times. I'm doing my best to pull out actionable insights and and keep things clear thinking for you. But this is very, very important information about how to design a fitness program appropriately. We also talk about a bunch of other fun stuff like accidental hypertrophy. That's his quote for a a protocol that he stumbled upon recently that has served to uh, transform his physique, build muscle, lose body fat. A lot of his subjects are succeeding too. So you're going to get some top secret cutting edge information uh, that's really interesting because it, uh, it kind of uh, offers an alternative pathway to the Uh, the hypertrophy protocol that most of the strength training, bodybuilding people are familiar with, which are these exhausting long-duration workouts, which uh, might not seem that fun or interesting. Uh, We also talk about his uh, breakthrough insight, his landmark article that I believe is one of the best things uh, that have come out of the fitness scene in the last couple decades. And it's the concept of hit versus hurt. I talk about it a lot on the show. I think I've done a breather show of that title where I talk about Dr. Marker's work in detail. And we have a link to the article that you can read for yourself. Uh, But generally, it's uh, rethinking these exhaustive, long-duration, high-intensity workouts that seem to frame the centerpiece of the fitness industry in favor of what Dr. Marker calls high-intensity repeat training. So in this show, you're going to get suggestions, the protocol to design uh, an explosive high-intensity workout that's going to give you the best fitness benefits, Uh, research proven uh, of any kind of exercise that you can do. It doesn't take long. You don't have to do it very often. Dr. Marker talks about going out there three days a week and doing these pretty challenging workouts where you're putting out a lot of power. You're putting out a lot of explosive effort, but for very short duration and enjoying what Dr. Marker calls luxurious rest intervals. This is going to transform your fitness experience, especially if you are locked into the traditional approach of these exhaustive High Glycolytic Workouts. And we'll explain some of these terms as you're listening. But it's a fast-moving show. You definitely have to listen to this at regular speed or 0.8 to listen to these things and hit repeat if you get a little bit lost. But I think it's really valuable information from Dr. Craig Marker, psychology professor down in Atlanta, Georgia and fitness leader. He's especially fond of kettlebells. So you're gonna learn all about some kettlebell protocol And at the very end, listen carefully as he talks about this pendulum concept, because I think this is another breakthrough. I'm going to take credit because I pulled it out of him during the interview. Uh, But right up there with his hit versus hurt concept, this concept of the pendulum swinging back and forth between uh, a growth, performance, building fitness, and then on the other side of the pendulum, anti-aging and fasting and cell repair, which has been so confusing, especially when people are loaded up on one side as the end all to healthy living. But it's going to help you really reconcile uh, the importance of... Uh, you know, working your muscles, fueling those muscles with nice, good food and energy and even carbohydrates as I offered in my own personal example. And then the flip side of engaging in prolonged fasting and all that great autophagy cell repair stuff that we've been told is the key to health. So all in all, a great show from Dr. Craig Marker. Here we go. Dr. Craig Marker, we are so excited to connect with you because my listeners have heard your name like every second or third show especially talking about hit versus hurt and all the other great stuff. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Always a pleasure, Brad. It's uh, great to talk with you. I am humbled that you put my name in any articles. So thank you.
0: Uh, and just before we hit record, you're telling me about your birthday milestone goals, which are so impressive. And it's such a fun thing to, to shoot for. So uh, let me check in about that, that basketball dunking pull-up journey. Where do we stand here, man?
1: Um, so yeah, no, I I just have these like sort of challenges that I want to hit and I don't always have to hit them all together, but, uh, usually for milestone birthdays, I I try to hit these goals. Um, so 25 pull-ups. Um, so like if you go to, I don't know if where a carnival is or a fair, but they often have the Marine station there. And, um, you know, the if you can do 25 pull-ups, you get a a t-shirt. So I always try to be ready to do that. And I, I love being the, you know, older guy that can't enlist anyways and being able to do the 25 pull-ups. So that, that's one of the goals. And I'm always not far from that. Um, that one's, I'm not bragging. It's just something that I've been kind of uh, close to always and can do pull-ups. Um, but the other one is dunking a basketball. And that one I'm a little ways away from right now. It's been a little while since I've I played basketball. So starting that back up again and doing my jumping type training. Um, so it'd be great to, to, you to give me some good tips on, on your jumping training. Um, some other ones, like, uh, you know, for some of these certifications that I have, like doing a, um, you know, two and a half times deadlift. Um, uh-huh. That's kind of a goal that I try to hit every once in a while. And then a press with a kettlebell, um, so just one arm press of half body weight. So, um,
0: about... A one arm uh, press from from the ground Uh, Like a Turkish
1: thing. Well, so you're not starting Turkish. You can clean it to your Uh arm here. You clean it up to your shoulder, and then you just have to press it. So um it's a 44 kilogram for me, or uh, 90 90 pounds or so, or 95 pounds or so. So, uh
0: so which birthday milestone is approaching next year? Um,
1: I I don't tell anybody about my birthdays. This is kind of something I keep secret, but the the
0: uh, 50 is kind of oh the milestone boy. next year. So Okay. So dunking a basketball at 50 when you're, you're under six foot, you're like in the Allen Iverson uh, height zone. He was listed at six, one, his whole career, and he was probably 5'11 and a half. So that's a, that's a big challenge, man. How are you going to do it?
1: Um, you know, I, I think the big thing that I've always gone to is kettlebell swings and, you know, that's, that's something that I, I generally train quite a bit and that, that, eccentric movement. So the, the downward movement of the kettlebell and reversing that it's almost, you know, like a jump. I mean, you're, you're really in a kind of a jump position when you do kettlebell swings so that, that, and sometimes even doing an overspeed eccentric. So throwing that kettlebell back down, um, Hmm. or even hooking a band to it. I don't do banded ones that often, but, um, that overspeed kind of reverses the force and, and helps you jump that that's always worked pretty well for me. Um, and practicing jumping, you know, it's, it's, I'm not standing there and just jumping and doing a dunk. I get a, a, you know, running start towards it. So, you know, practicing that movement, I mean, it's, you know, the high jump is so technical and, and, you know, dunking a basketball is a bit technical, you know, also stretching my hand, um, you know, being able to palm a basketball is, you know, it takes a bit of practice. So that, that's something that's, you know, I might lose grip, you know, every, third one. So I, I really want to make sure I have that grip on the basketball.
0: But. Yeah. That could be your best jump. And then the ball's gone <laughs> exactly. through the gym. I remember yes. when my son and his boys were trying to dunk in high school and they definitely had the hops, but the ball would squirt out. And, and um, uh, we were filming uh, goofing around filming videos and I was on the, um, the eight foot basket, which I'm, I have plenty of uh, height to get up and, and slam the basketball but the timing is so particular. And I'm, I'm so impressed. I have so much more respect for the, the dunking basketball players because you can be up there, but you don't have everything in sync and you miss the basket. And we, we see people missing dunks and, and the announcers laugh. And it's like, look, people, this is a, a really beautiful sequencing of everything, the arm, the wrist, uh, like you said, the palming, and of course the hops. But um, back to that kettlebell swing. So you're saying that the the eccentric part, which is the re- moving the kettlebell back down to the ground, that's uh, particularly helpful for for explosive jumping.
1: Yeah, th- there's been a few studies on this as well. The um, like with advanced volleyball players who already have really good uh, jumping ability, um, they can you know doing kettlebell swings and not really focusing on that overspeed eccentric, but they their jump went up. 2.5 inches, if I remember correctly. But, um, you know, I think the jump, if we go back to like Verkoschansky um, shock training or what became plyometrics, his original, um, and it's neat to see his old articles because he he's hand-drawn these boxes, they, they would jump off of a box about waist high and then immediately jump as high as possible. And a kettlebell that's kind of, you know, if you're not landing properly, if you're, you know, you land with your knees going in or any sort of, um, you know, not good landing, you can injure yourself. But I think the kettlebell swing accomplishes that because when you go that downward moving movement, you absorb the force of the kettlebell and you have to reverse it just like you're going to do with a, a Verk- Verkashansky uh, shock jump. So I, I kind of, liken it to a little bit safer um, plyometric type training and you know that that reversing movement is good for any sort of speed type of activity so um, once a person dials in their swing they can start doing it faster on the downswing they can even kind of throw it back Um, but I, I would only do that if you've got a really good swing.
0: Right, these things are somewhat advanced, where you really have to perfect your technique, and especially the plyometrics. You hear it criticized a lot because it is advanced with high injury risk. Uh, and so, I like that idea of the kettlebell swing being more friendly for people that are, are just wanting to get into this. Uh, I love the, the the strapped up version, and we'll link to your video where I learned uh, both the importance of, of throwing that thing down and then uh, snapping the hips nicely and letting the the raise portion be mostly you know a drive through the lower legs because i was always uh doing it wrong and probably uh putting injury risk to my shoulders by thinking that it was an arm motion but uh it's it's a nice presentation there which uh again will translate nicely to to jumping and, and lower body strength. And then the, the hormonal, uh, stimulation of the androgen receptors and the legs from this comp- comprehensive lower body move. So, uh, if we didn't properly introduce you, you're, you're a big time kettlebell enthusiast and expert and have worked closely with Pavel and, uh, you have the great certifications. And so, um, here's, here's one big thumbs up vote for the kettlebell people.
1: Yeah. And and if I can go back to what you said, it's not an arm, arm movement. And I think what happens quite often is people, oh gosh, this is going to sound bad, but um, people often have too light of a kettlebell and, you know, I, and, and we're been told over and over, don't go. And I think this is good advice. Don't go too heavy, really too quickly. But for the kettlebell, um, you know, people will use what's stronger and sometimes they just feel more comfortable with their arms. But if you weigh them down with a little heavier kettlebell then they they know they have to use their legs to really pop it up. And and that's, um, you know, again, I think getting an instructor and ha- watching your technique is really important before you go heavy, but sometimes a heavier kettlebell can kind of cure that uh, wanting the arms to jump into the movement.
0: Mm, right. Now, now it's not so fun for my wrist to try to throw this thing around. I got to get my legs into the mix.
1: Exactly. Yep.
0: Yep. Okay. Well, uh I would like to um kind of recap this uh wonderful groundbreaking article and insight that you offered up uh the title of which was hit versus hurt and uh maybe you can just give the, give the basic explanation and also uh, I never asked you this but like how this uh, you know how you, how you stumbled upon this or how this came to be I, I wonder if you were like me sitting sitting and observing the, the fitness industry as a whole and, and thinking that people are by and large exhausting themselves with inappropriately designed workouts and then maybe going from there because it, it seems to me that most of fitness is either chronic endurance exercise or these uh, prolonged, high-intensity workouts that are so popularly touted with uh, CrossFit or boot camp or spinning, uh, but they seem to go on and on. And I don't know how people do it personally because when I go into some of these things, um, I'm I'm fried after 30 minutes because I'm, I'm giving it my all like they're asking me to. And then we're at the halfway point of the workout. I'm like, this, this don't make no sense, people, unless you guys are all sandbagging except me. I'm ready to walk out of the gym. Okay, I'm turning it over to Craig and, and hit versus hurt.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's kind of two paths where I, I, I didn't necessarily stumble upon it. I think there's been a lot of great uh, people working on this type of issue. Um, you know, one was the, the original Tabata research, and I was mm. fascinated by it, um, you know, and that you'd get the same effects as you would from running a 5K or you know in, in, if in the outcome of running a 5K. And, you know, I looked at it and I would see these Tabata type training and, you know, it's 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off for eight rounds, so four minutes total. And that eighth round is sort of optional. Like if you don't have power in that seventh round, you're not doing that eighth round. So it's like that same thing, you need to walk out. So these Tabata workouts, I would see um, articles, and this is, you know, where I, I would get frustrated, but like, a, you know, I have a 30 minute Tabata, and it's like, there's no 30 minute Tabata, like you said, that's it's just, uh, nobody can do that much power for 30 minutes. Or it would be, you know, something with planks and plank is not a a Tabata type of exercise. It's, you know, you need something that like Tabata had on the bike or a treadmill. Um, And when you're going 20 seconds on a bike all out, you know, um, you know, you're losing everything you've got. And, you know, that 10 second rest isn't really helping all that much. A uh, 20-second plank is nothing like 20 seconds on the bike. And at least for me, it isn't. But um, so, you know, that was that was one area that I was really interested in. And the other was with Pavel. Um, Pavel was working on um, a book, which came, eventually came out, The Quick and the Dead. And we were doing all these research protocols for it. And Pavel's Quick and the Dead is a great read, if anybody wants to read it. Um, it has a lot of parallels to primal endurance. So, it's, you know, with primal endurance and you, I'm probably not saying exactly right, but you're doing things either really slow or really fast and you're avoiding that sort of in-between. Um, and that's what Pavel was looking at. It's was, it was really based off of um, did some conditioning pro- protocols and it was stay out of that glycolytic range. And, hmm. you know, you can go really fast, but once you get glycolytic, you've got to stop, rest, and then move on. So we are doing all of these different protocols. Um, where we're doing as much uh, lactic work and then rest in between to, you know, so we could do more lactic work. So everything was really powerful and with enough rest in between. And and so we, we called these um, repeat training um, instead of high intensity interval where, you know, Tabata, if you kind of measure power over time, people can't, well, maybe... Some people can, but I certainly can't keep the power up over that four minutes. Even four minutes is way too much to keep that much power up. Um, So the goal was keep the power throughout all of the intervals so they'd be repeats. Mm. Um, And then so you'd have to have enough, um, we called it, luxurious rest in between. And uh, the luxurious rest intervals makes it repeats. Uh,
0: So just to... uh slow down a little. I, I think most listeners are familiar with that term, the, the glycolytic range. That means a, 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 a an effort that's burning primarily glucose. And so when we look in uh, exercise physiology and, and what energy systems are used at various exercise uh, durations, um, that's where we have these in very important cutoffs that you detail scientifically in the article. But I think we can kind of um, drift quickly through this in the talk here. Uh, But when you're talking about really short bursts of explosive power, uh, we're talking about using a different energy system than the typical glucose burning that we use anywhere from uh, 30 seconds up to, what is it? 30 seconds to two minutes is primarily glucose. And then you start transitioning into a, a mixture of glucose and fat. And then under 30 seconds is where we're talking about kind of a different experience to the body than the depleting effects of going and hitting the the, the glucose burning effort over and over. So maybe uh, you can add some more there and, and also clarify if I didn't hit that right.
1: No, no, I think you explained it quite well. And yeah, even that, that 30 seconds when you're... Using this system, like it's it's at you know it's optimal probably between eight and fifteen seconds, and you start using all the creatine phosphates in your system, all the uh, ATP, the limited ATP you already have, um, the creatine phosphate that's making the ATP quickly, and your body starts to say, "Okay, we're going to need more energy," and start let's start ramping this up. So even from fifteen to thirty, you might still be draining that creatine phosphate system, but the you know glycolytic is you know, starting to ramp up. It takes a little while for that system to to ramp up. So it's ramping up slowly and really hits, um, kicks in about 30 seconds or so. So yeah, they're, um, you know, and with these type of training programs, you're really trying to hit that uh, um, your creatine phosphate system, you know, uh, probably 15 second intervals. Um, we can go into even a little bit later, more of the science, but Forenza and some others, um, Marty Gabala, have looked at different intervals. And I think, you know, 15 to 20 seconds is that sort of sweet spot um, where you're really hitting um, the electric system and draining it as much as possible. And there's some reasons why we want to drain it. And I think that is has longevity benefits, but uh, that's getting too far aside. We can get into that stuff later, but.
0: Um, Yeah, I guess the, the big takeaway here is that for most uh, fitness enthusiasts, even even serious people who are going to CrossFit five days a week or going to the 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 running club, and they do uh, track workout on Tuesday night and tempo workout on Thursday. Um, by and large, there's a lot of uh, living in this uh, glycolytic workout zone and maybe you can talk about some of the potential drawbacks of going and doing these uh, draining, depleting workouts uh, several days a week, and at the same time, never really tapping into the, uh, the, the explosive output that you get when you limit your intervals to uh, much shorter duration than maybe most people are used to. Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New Optimal, N-U Optimal. The products are Meta Focus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking Meta Memory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress, very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking Meta Drive for motivation, stress, resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail in easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge i can get especially for cognition so guess what let's avoid that sugary junk food let's get enough sleep take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost so go visit newoptimal.com n-u-o-p-t-i-m-a-l and enter the code brad 30 to get 30 percent discount when you try it newoptimal.com for way more details
1: yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest is something you've mentioned already, the you know the glucose, um, it, it taps into glucose and it's wanting to use all the um, body's glucose. Um, and that makes you quite hungry afterwards for <laughs> glucose. I,
0: I think, you know, the- This show um, is sponsored by Jamba Juice. We're talking to Dr. <laughs> Craig Marker. Uh, but yeah, that's the big one because most people are out there trying to drop excess body fat. So they're draining the tank and guess what happens to the brain and the appetite uh, triggers and all those things when you're constantly depleting yourself, you are headed from the gym right over to Jamba Juice for the medium scone and the energizing smoothie, which is more calories than you just burned in an extremely grueling one-hour-long boot camp or spin class.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, and it, it feels good, too. I mean... <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Jamba yeah. Juice... Talk, talk that, about I mean, that, too. Yeah. Yeah, No, I mean, it's certainly somewhat addicting. I mean, that, Mm. that idea that, you know, when you feel crushed at the end of a, and I'll call this a workout, I usually call these training sessions because I think we should be doing training sessions. We should be training to get better at our movements, but this is a workout. You've worked everything out. When you're laying on the ground afterwards, it feels awesome. And like you said, the addictive part, I think this was before we hit record, but the addictive part of some of these endurance um, sports, you know, it feels really good. Um, And I I said this in one of my articles, and I didn't mean to be crass, but I said, I I don't care about your feelings. Um, You know, I care about the results. And, you know, we don't care how you feel afterwards. We want you to have the best results. And if you're doing those shorter intervals, you're as powerful as possible, you're building those type two muscle fibers that you're going to need as you age, um, you know, that's what we should be doing instead of trying to, you know, build a glycolytic system, um, that's, you know, is inefficient. Uh, it's like a, 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 inefficient car that's blowing smoke. It's kind of polluting our body. Um, there's a lot of oxidants produced, um, that our aerobic system has to clean up. And if we're in just the glycolytic system all the time, um, you know, we start to build these oxidants and I think it has a good signaling effect initially, But after months of trying to do these things that I think we can start breaking down, we can start having injuries and have some of the things that we're not trying to do by exercising.
0: Mm, That's another good point that out of the gate, if you've been sitting on your ass too much uh, during COVID because my gym was closed and I haven't been working out and now I'm working out again, hey, anything works and you get that adaptation out of the gate for 30, 60, 90 days. Maybe it's two years. I I have a lot of experience in in the endurance scene of of doing this type of training, that type of training, and I feel fantastic for six months, and then I'm I'm fried for six months after that. So then we want to start to consider a more refined approach that's more aligned with improvement maintaining health rather than just getting that workout high. And listeners, uh, keep in mind, Dr. Craig here in in his day job is in the world of psychology. So I love how you interject some of those ideas into these fitness articles or fitness commentary, uh, because it is a huge driving factor in the decision-making when people are uh, deciding how to work out. And also, I suppose... Designing the programming of what my what my boot camp session is going to look like. I want people to get a huge burst of endorphins so they come back. But again, looking down the road, this is not how the body is designed to work. And we're looking at breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury if we lock into that path.
1: Yeah, most, most definitely. Um, I, I think, you know, again, there's so many individual differences with this. And you're coming from a place where you have an aerobic system that, you know, many people would die for. And like your aerobic system, so when your glycolytic system is active, it's producing a lot of lactic, uh, lactate, which the aerobic system can use for energy and the aerobic system cleans up. It's just when that lactate starts to build up, um, we've got too much of it. um, Our system gets acidic and that's, you know, where we start to feel that burn. Um, But for people who have a great aerobic system, you know, the 800 meter people um you know i'm i'm a, i was never an 800 meter person i was a long distance person um but the 800 meter people who can just go and like have that glycolytic system but they're cleaning it up at the same time that that's amazing so there are some people that are meant for that and can have the aerobic system that cleans up the mess afterwards but i think for most people it's probably not a good place to start for sure
0: yeah and i think uh we are looking to the examples of the elite athletes in many cases for how to design training. I think a lot of coaches are coming from whatever the experience they've had, or maybe they were top athletes back in their day. And so we're modeling these genetic freaks by and large, where most people, uh, and I think you even mentioned this in the Hit versus Hurt article, that uh, the recreational enthusiast is going to be vastly more destroyed by doing 10 times two minutes full out with 30 seconds rest or some uh, ridiculous notion that's not aligned with luxurious rest intervals and is too excessive. Uh, But if it's uh, van Niekerk training for the olympics he's going to be fine because he's trying to sprint around a 400 meter track at full speed and um then the rest of us are going to have all this fallout uh, and i especially um i'm concerned about that uh, ammonia toxicity and how that affects the the brain neurons so maybe you could uh pipe in there about the you know the, the various drawbacks besides that we're going to have too much jamba juice after these depleting workouts
1: yeah. And 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 again, it's uh, too much of a good thing, maybe, or maybe ammonia is never a good thing. But you know, when we're our ATP is being used, so adenotriphosphate, it's got three phosphate molecules. Whenever we break off a phosphate molecule, we create energy. That's what the muscles are using for energy. Um, then we have adenodiphosphate. We have two phosphate molecules. Um, when we start breaking off that phosphate, that's when we start getting um, into a um, adeno monophosphate and we start building up ammonia and that ammonia um, is very toxic to the body so we don't want too much we want to clean that up we want to replenish our adeno diphosphates put another phosphate on it we want to replenish that system so the luxurious rest is cleaning up and building back our atp Um, and getting rid of the ammonia. So, the longer we train in the glycolytic fashion, the more ammonia we build up and the the more um, detrimental effects. There is some adaptive part to this, though, in that when our ATP drains really quickly, um, we produce AMPK. AMPK triggers our cells to make more mitochondria. There's a few intermediate steps that I'm kind of skipping over, but You know, we need that's why when we train, we adapt. And so sometimes we want that, but too much of it. And then we start to build up toxicity. We start to build up oxidants in the system that um, start destroying, you know, cellular DNA or other things. So we don't want too much of it, but we want enough just to signal the process um, so that we can adapt and and move on.
0: Right. And it seems to me that um, for most people out there who are just trying to get in shape, maybe. Uh, manage excess body fat, have some success some results there that toning everything down several notches and saying that look if you go to the gym and do you know a, a 10 second series of kettlebell swings uh, a few times, you're good to go and, and you can leave <laughs> and and um, and go home and I think back to that appetite stimulating effects when you're doing these shorter duration, uh maximum explosive efforts using the right energy systems and, and taking long rest periods in between uh, you're you're gonna walk away from that workout in a, in a better state.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you you discussed a lot about fasting and you know those uh, types of protocols or one meal a day. Um, you know when I do this type of hurt type training, I'm not that hungry afterwards. Like I can continue my fast. I often do it fasted um, for other benefits, um, you know, fat loss, but also um, longevity benefits. But, you know, I feel like I'm more energized to continue my fast in ways because I'm, you know, just told the body to burn more fat Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's a nice efficient aerobic system um, kind of cleaning up. Um, So, yeah, no, I definitely, I think it's even more beneficial um, to, you know, being fat adapted and these other components.
0: So, can you describe uh, an ideally designed hurt session? And we can pick the uh, the desired activity. I always talk about sprinting, like running sprints, if you're adapted to it. And if you're not, you can run upstairs or do something that's low or no impact. You can do it on a bicycle. But talk about the uh, the parameters, like the work uh, period and the rest intervals, and the, and the, uh, free, uh, the number of uh, reps, and so forth.
1: Yeah, the, I, I always feel like I have to qualify some things. And <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a little picture, but nobody else is going to be able to see it. But, so what I've got on the screen, I've got two different exercises, and jump rope, um, 20 seconds on, 40 seconds off, and then the heavy bag, um, 20 seconds on, 40 seconds off. Um, so same intervals, but very different exercises. And there's, um, in the jump rope, you see eight peaks. So I did eight intervals, or the this person did eight intervals of 20 seconds on, 40 seconds off. And what you see is uh, a sort of lactate threshold line that's going through there. Um, the person goes up and above the lactate threshold, and but then comes down during the recovery. So the, this exercise, the person can fully recover, clean up the lactate system, And you know, and then be ready for the next set. And almost every set is very similar with that that cleanup process. Um, The other figure is with the heavy bag, and what we start to see is that accumulation of lactate over time. um, Twenty seconds on, after a while, the person is not recovering fully after forty seconds off. So I think it depends. So my whole reason for showing this, it depends a little bit on the exercise and. If we're, you know, doing something that's using smaller muscles, and I say the the heavy bag is using, you know, the upper body, we might, we have less muscle mass on the upper body. We're burning up the system a little bit faster. So I think shorter rest intervals is probably better for something like that. So a heavy bag I think is great, um, but probably 15 seconds on, 45 seconds off. Um, Something like a sprint probably, you know, We can go through things faster. We can probably do 15 to 20 seconds. I know um, like a bike, 15 seconds, I'm exhausted. Um, But a rower, like 20 seconds is my optimal point. So I'm looking at a range between, you know, 13 to 20 seconds on and uh, 37 to um, 20 or 37 to or probably 20. I have to add those up, about 40 seconds off. So every minute on the minute type of things is what I do quite a bit of. Um, But again, people are starting in different places. Some people might need two to four minutes of rest to really be optimal. I've got a base of an aerobic system that can clean up um, that, or that that person I was just showing you had that base of an aerobic system. So for people who are newer, take two to three minutes. Um, Mm. The key is, is that exercise is done repeated. Like, so How much power you have on the first one, you should have on the third or or seventh Mm, or eighth one. Right. Um, And I'll use, you know, like an accelerometer to measure power. So when I do kettlebell swings, I use an accelerometer to make sure my swings have the same power that they did early on.
0: Right. If you're doing something timed, like sprinting down the athletic field, Boy, that's a really great uh, tracker because if you're hitting 11 seconds each time, you know you're delivering a consistent quality of effort. And then if you come in at 12 or 13, uh, you're you're starting to lose it, which indicates that your your workout is 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 wrapping up quickly. Or, and I also yeah. like to qualify this, if you're hitting that eleven seconds again, but you're trying significantly harder, like if you envision your own personal graph of effort and there's a spike in it on the fifth or sixth interval, that's also a good indicator, I think that you know that that's the end of the workout is you want this this high intensity repeat training where repeat means two things, not only the performance, the accelerometer. But also, I guess the uh, the degree of difficulty.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, yep. In in the the idea of the psychological factor, I think you mm-hmm. want it to be hard. Like you really need to push on every one of these. There's just because we are saying you're not laying on the floor at the end of these doesn't mean it's easy. That when you're in those eleven seconds, it's hard 11 seconds and i like to me it's perfect because i can do anything for 15 seconds i can endure any pain for 15 seconds um and it's just a perfect amount of time psychologically um but when you're trying to like you said when you're know you got 30 minutes of this you're body just starts to sandbag and you might not want to but there's no way that people can put in all the power you know in a 30 minute type training session
0: right or there's just this selectivity where um you know raise your hand if you're if you're a drop off or a nutrition victim of anything in life and it's probably because uh, you weren't you know ideally suited for it we just met some people on the hiking trail yesterday and the guy had a crossfit shirt on i said oh yeah yeah I'm from Sacramento and oh I know that crossfit place I how long have you been going there? And they say, we've been going for 12 years, four to five days a week. And I'm like, okay, well, guess what? You're probably in that one percentile that somehow this wonderful fit couple is able to sustain that type of uh, exercise uh, schedule for so long. but you know there's a lot of people with uh, torn up shoulders or you know, lack of interest anymore because it's simply too much, especially for their physiology. This is kind of a, an aside I just thought of, Craig, but uh, there's this great trainer Dave Dole based in Switzerland. He was an elite athlete. He had the Swiss national record in the hundred meters at ten point one six. and he talks about how the uh, our, our different neurotransmitter profiles, our neurotransmitter dominance, uh, can affect how we approach workouts and our ability to, for example, uh, repeat maximum intensity. And so you're talking about this, this range of recovery from 40 seconds off uh, to where other people might need two to four minutes off. And he describes how you know he was an explosive, high-power guy he ran a 10, 1600 meters, but he says, I would go to track meets. Dave's talking, and, and he would just sleep in the stands until 15 minutes before his race. He'd wake uh-huh. up, he'd jog down the field a few times, he'd get in the blocks and blast a world class time. And he says, his training partner, who had almost the exact same time, would have an hour and 20 minute warm up. With these stretches and then these wind sprints and then some more power drills. And it was all due to the different neurotransmitter makeup. And then he says he's in his gym, uh, you know, working with clients, and he says, Okay, we're gonna do an assessment today, and I want you to go one minute all out as hard as you can, <laughs> ready, go. And the person's going, going, going. And then he says, Stop. And they say, Okay, what next? Like they're just standing there, you know, breathing a little hard. And he's like, Was that all out? And the person says, Yes, that, that was as hard as I can go. And then you can look on YouTube. We'll, we'll find the link. He's showing an all-out effort of one minute where he's doing the battle ropes, and then he's doing the uh, pulling the the single uh, barbell up and down. And then he's collapsed on the ground in a pile of sweat from a one-minute workout. And so, boy, we have that individual variation that's a, a super important element of how to design a workout.
1: Definitely so. Yeah, um, just as a another quick example, like power lifters, you see, like, it's kind of, it's, I, I'm not in the powerlifting world, but I, I think it's amazing watching, but some of them just really need to get psyched out beforehand. You see their trainers slapping them and hitting them and, and then they go and lift. And then there are others that are just, you know, calm, cool, and, you know, kind of pull it up. And, you know, I, I would imagine it's something similar to what you're saying is, um you know, this sympathetic nervous system needing to kick in like crazy for these uh, super maximal efforts, but
0: so back to the dunking, Craig. Let's see now if this is a big goal and you want to do it right. In your particular case, what would that look like? I mean, you you say practicing jumping, that's great. You say doing the kettlebells, but over a weeks or a month's time, how many times are you going to go out there and you know really put in a big effort toward this goal? And then, what's that workout going to look like?
1: Um yeah so yeah, what I've been doing is kind of um it it's kind of a, a another a section of a, a overarching umbrella of training. But about three days a week, I'm doing these high intensity repeat type training, and I'll do my shock jumps or kettlebell swings. um and then um about an hour later, I'll actually go to the basketball court. And I'll, um, you know, just practice, practice the the movement, the jumping, um, and those type of things. So it's, it's a bit, um, you know, there's, there's other things that I do in my training, but that's, that's the more specific part of it. So three days a week is, you know, really where I'm focused on it and mm-hmm. re- it, not three consecutive, it's three broken up with rest days. Yeah.
0: Uh, and then how many full out jumps are you going to take in in a single workout and are you watching for a decline in performance or what are your parameters that are uh, allowing you to design the best workout?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, on the basketball court, I I think we said before the recording, you were talking about high jumps and you just get, you know, you you just want to keep trying. So I do kind of keep a a clock, you know, that, you know, I'm going to just practice basketball and practice my jumps. So I'll do like five minutes, you know, just shooting around, warming up. Then I'll start jumping lightly. And then I've got 10 minutes where, you know, wherever the rebound comes, I might jump and things like that. So I, I keep that time under control. Kettlebell swings or the Verkashansky shock jumps, I've got like, a, you know, a set that I'm doing that day. And that that oscillates, um, you know, I vary the, the amount um, daily, but it's, you know, it's probably about 25, no, yeah, 25 to 40 jumps. Um, Hmm. or, you know, 30 to 80 swings a day, probably a little bit more volume for swings, but every day,
0: no, no, there's just those three days that I do on those three days. And then what about the other days of the week?
1: Um, there I'm doing a little bit more, you know, strength type training. Um, I'm doing, um, just kind of like, yeah, just general strength. I'm doing some, you know, one-legged, uh, strength training, um, uh, Kind of within the like uh, seventy to eighty percent of one rep max range. So that's a, kind of a range that I, I try to stay in. Um, there's some you know great uh, studies by Soviet researchers, Medvedev. Um, you know, not going maximal effort that often in strength training is pretty important. Um, this is getting onto a whole nother topic, but yeah, a sixty to eighty percent range of one rep max is where I'm staying for that. I want to go heavy enough. So three to seven, uh, reps on, on different things. So I'll do, um, you know, some squats, um, some deadlifts, I'll do some presses, uh, kind of some, uh, pull ups, um, some weighted pull-ups and those type of things
0: on the, the weight training days. Uh, you mentioned the one legged, can you describe the importance or benefits of that?
1: Um, for the most part, we're, when we jump in, you know, there's very few sports where we're jumping, we're standing, squatting down and jumping. So, you know, just like your approach in the high jump, you're, you're running, you're jumping off of one leg. Um, whenever we're walking or running or we need to be explosive, we're kind of coming off of one leg. So having that one legged power, the balance I, I think helps us, you know, build a proprioception and, and, Um, you know, things that we need. So I I try to do a lot of one-legged type of of exercises.
0: Yeah, I think I heard you say that or or you wrote it and it made so much sense. You you also might've offered that most of the time, when we're trying to do something powerful with our upper body, we're doing it with both hands. We're picking up a heavy rock off the ground. Uh, we're doing a pull-up up to the bar. I don't know. Maybe if you do one-arm pull-ups, that that doesn't apply. But for most of us, we're doing two-arm pull-ups, two-arm picking up heavy stuff. So it makes sense to train with the with the upper body with both arms, and then you know go more to the to the one-legged stuff when we're doing lower body. I love it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I, I forgot I wrote something like that. <laughs>
0: yeah uh, so also on our list to talk about before we got into basically one one of my favorite fitness subjects of of the last couple decades was this this uh, notion of toning things down and going for that that maximum output that high intensity repeat training uh, is this accidental hypertrophy concept you call it and the, the great results you've had recently so maybe we can get into the cutting edge here now
1: yeah so this started a few years ago. We had this, uh, again, when I was working with Pavel on uh, these protocols for quick and the dead, um, we were testing out all kinds of different uh, work intervals, rest intervals. And most everything we did was with kettlebells because uh, he's a, he brought kettlebells to the West um, and made them popular. Um, but we had this one um, where we had uh, 25 swings and these are heavy swings. So. Um, like a 48-kilogram or 106-pound kettlebell uh, swinging it 25 times. Um, your posterior chain is burning. Um, my forearms burned, the grip of that. And it's a fight to the end to do 25 um, swings. And so this was the the protocol. And then we thought we needed 10 minutes of rest to clean up all of this a- um, acid that we burned. So we were just testing out all of these different programs. Um and then, you know, 10 minutes, people get bored. They don't want to sit for 10 <laughs> minutes. So we said, okay, you can go do some presses in between. And, and um, you know, so we, we just had them do some presses. I kind of modified the presses a little bit. Um, there's, I can send you a link to this. There's an article on T Nation or on YouTube. It's a hypertrophy conditioning program. Um, and we just have them do those 25 swings every 10 minutes and then presses in between. And we had people like saying, "You know, my pants, um, the waist doesn't fit anymore. My shirts, my shoulders have gotten bigger. Um, and we think it's a bit of building up this lactic acid, this glycolytic system, of with a lot of power. Um, you know, this is not a you know thirty minute burn. This is you know a, a, you know less than a minute where you really feel the burn. Um, you know, and it's like what sprinters do or what boxers do or gymnasts do. They're probably feeling the burn a little bit, but sure. it's intense and then it's shut off. And so, you know, we we did this. That, that was one program we did. Um, I started playing with a lot of these other um, shortening rest intervals. And there's a German, gosh, I'm forgetting the name, German swim researcher. And what they did was, you know, they want the swimmers to get as fast as possible. So they would sprint. And then they keep shortening the rest intervals. And so I I was trying this out and because I I don't like waiting 10 minutes either. But um, so we were doing those 20 seconds on, 40 seconds off and kind of shortening the intervals. And when we started measuring that um, heart rate, when people started getting into that lactic acid zone and starting to build up towards, you know, round five, six, seven, eight, and it became a mental struggle to really push through those. Um, But they're still as powerful, so they're still repeats. But the more the mental struggle, the more the lactic acid system built up, um, they started to build hypertrophy. And so it was kind of this this idea that, you know, if we let that glycolytic system signal our body and maybe create this, you know, anabolic environment or, you know, we're signaling hormones, that these type two fibers are getting exhausted, we started to build more type two fibers. And, um, you know, if we think about bodybuilders, you know, they're going for the pump and, you know, in the gym, you know, they're doing, you know, eight to 15 reps every time. And because they want that pump and they want to go to failure. So it was just kind of the same thing, but with powerful type movements. And so, um, you know, we're, It's basically the hurt, the high-intensity repeats, but with a little bit more burn. And so it's a really mental struggle to finish at the end.
0: (laughs) But it's another path to hypertrophy beyond the one that we've been pounded into our heads is the only way to go, which is this again, an an exhausting prolonged workout where you go to failure over and over and over again. That's the the notion that um, all strength bodybuilders are pretty familiar with. And now we're talking about, I guess, kind of a, um, uh, a, I'm not going to call it a hack or a shortcut, but an alternative pathway, which sounds really um, interesting and and, and fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if we think of sprinters, I mean, they're, you know... Mm. Body composition is, you know, and, and I, I know sprinters are also training the gym, but they're certainly not training necessarily for body composition. Um, but, you know, they're going all out and, you know, this, um, you know, and they're trying to get the fastest performance each time. But, you know, they're having this sort of accidental hypertrophy by, you know, triggering this system, you know, with, with their sprints and, you know, boxers. Mm-hmm. You know or sprinting as well in you know in, in a different way and you know doing short intervals um so i I think it's not something like that I had just newly discovered it was just you know kind of playing around with this a little bit um and seeing all the, these changes in the people we tested and then also in in myself I just like you know um I'm not trying to change my body composition <laughs> but all of a sudden things just started. happening man
0: he can't help yeah. it people he's gotta go get new clothes yep, yep. amazing Uh, tell me about that analogy that Verkashansky used with the sink filling up with water.
1: Yeah, so yeah, Verkashansky, again, is one of the brilliant Soviet scientists, um, not well known for his conditioning work, but did a lot with that. Um, But he talked about, you know, this uh, sink filling up and when it got to the top, you'd you'd kind of remove the drain. And that's when you would stop um, this exercise. Um, So that's... Um, repeat training in a nutshell is we fill it up, we stop before we you know get too much glycolytic or start spilling water on the floor. Um, I would say that this accidental hypertrophy allows a little water to spill on the floor, and then you um, you know pull the plug and you know get enough rest. Um, but yeah, you're allowing you know we don't want to say the glycolytic system's all bad. It does trigger some things as long as we use this the system. In a, a certain way, we can we can use its benefits without getting the negatives.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'd also contend that once in a while, uh, super fantastic, go knock yourself out, go run a 5k race all out. Um, once every two months or whatever, but not three days a week uh, with the crappy time. Um, so again, the sink people is the idea of the uh, muscular discomfort and the, the burn accumulating. And I guess your, the, the recent discussion we just had with the hard the, the, the stuff is more like turning the faucet on full blast. So the sink fills up really fast. It spills over. Everything's fast, fast, fast. Then you pull the drain and everything's good. And then in the other example, um, you're working really hard for this uh, appropriate duration interval, let's say uh, 13 to 20 seconds, which you mentioned. And so when we get up to that 18, 19, 20, you're feeling the burn, you're feeling the burn, and there goes the plug. You stop running, you recover fully. Um, And just before we close this section of the discussion, um, we'll talk about that disassembling and deamination that occurs if you decide to sprint for 30 seconds or a minute or whatever the, the peppy instructor with the microphone in the front is telling you to do.
1: Yeah, that that's when we start, um, this overflow of water in the sink. Uh, that's when we start to create a lot of oxidants, we, you know, that are just, um, building up and we're not, they're not just used for signaling. That's when the, um, a- AMP is becoming, you know, d- degraded. We're building up ammonia in the system, and um, you know, when AMP is degraded, it's hard to rebuild that. We we need to, you know, have the, the all the building blocks and different components. So, just a quick supplement suggestion, you know, like when people have heart attacks, having ribose and having, you know, one of those building blocks is important because the uh, the heart is basically not getting oxygen, and then you know, when it gets flooded with oxygen. Um, it needs to rebuild that. That So, you know, it's kind of the same thing that's happening in a heart attack. We're, you know, creating this condition. And if we do it too long, it just creates a lot of damage.
0: Whew. Okay. Besides that, it's really great. So carry on with your extremely grueling, longer duration sessions. <sighs> uh Hopefully everyone followed. I know we got into a little bit of science, but I think the important takeaways here are we need to go hard to get the the most fitness adaptations. I I know you're familiar with Dr. McGuff's book, Body by Science, and and the subtitle says, uh, I forget, but it's something like get super fit uh, with 12 minutes working out a week. And then he goes into plenty of research showing that if you do these workouts correctly, just like the one you described with the accidental hypertrophy, where you're going, uh, what was it, 103-pound kettlebell swings? Okay, uh, that sounds pretty challenging. and if if it's for you or I, it's uh, twenty pounds or forty pounds or whatever's you know a challenge to the individual, um, it's gonna rock your world. But I, pr- I promise you people, you're not gonna feel deprived of your of your workout uh, satisfaction. Um, but maybe we should uh, finish up with your uh, interest in anti-aging and the strategies that you've discovered with as related to working out and and some of the other stuff too. If we go off the off the workout chart into something else,
1: uh, yeah, no, I mean I think uh, we could probably spend a few hours talking about anti aging and longevity stuff. I, I know that you you're um, aging backwards, um, so you you probably have a lot to say about this. Um, to kind of give it in a nutshell, I I think um, when we think of our mitochondria, um, it goes through different processes, and it it goes through a fission process where it's splitting into. Uh, when we need to make more of it, and small mitochondria, you've got more of them, but they're just not as efficient and they don't work as well. So we also need fusion, where they combine and and you know make bigger ones. So AMPK, which is something that we create a lot of when we work out intensely, you know, kind of triggers this fission process, so making more mitochondria. So when I do these hurt type of training sessions. I want AMPK. I want fission. I want to create more mitochondria. I want to break down my body in certain ways and also like create autophagy and, you know, break down, get rid of the uh, bad cells and those type of things. So on a in a fasted state, I'll do these hurt type training, um, trying to make my mitochondria more, have more mitochondria and also get rid of some bad stuff. So I'm super simplifying this. I don't, I know we don't have much time left, but We'll have to do a
0: whole anti-aging show, but this will this will tease everybody here.
1: Yep. So three days a week, I'm doing, you know, mm-hmm. what I call um, fission days with high-intensity repeat. And then on fusion days, you know, if we want mTOR, where mTOR is kind of the opposite of AMPK, we want muscle growth. We want, um, you know, the mitochondria to fuse um, i'll you know and i can eat a little bit differently i might not eat one meal a day on fusion days i'll, I'll train and then i'll eat um you know we want a balance mm. of these two processes you know i think fasting is great mm. but if i fast all the time um i also need to build muscle. so as as i age you know i want to have as much type 2 muscle fiber as possible that's you know a key indicator of of longevity so i you know i, I we want to have a pendulum. And the way that I think of it is if I can make the pendulum swing a little bit further, so fasting, um, get the autophagy processes going, uh, create AMPK where I'm building more mitochondria. And then on other days where I'm building muscle and, you know, shutting down that, some of those autophagy processes and building, you know, so that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm doing, you know, different days, you know, with a different goal in mind. Um, so that's the quick and the, the dirty version
0: of it. Oh my gosh, that that's solid gold, Craig. I love it. That's another breakthrough insight, the pendulum. Uh, because personally, I've been wrestling with uh, all the information that's blown into my head over the past decade. And we often get confused and led down one path or the other thinking that it's the end all. And I think there's... Kind of been a little bit of a backlash with uh, the incredible popularity of keto and then the uh, super fit female five times a week CrossFit who already has a six pack thinking that she needs to go and do these fasted workouts and fast afterwards to get the wonderful <laughs> autophagy benefits. But then we also have to put uh, on a checklist the number of stress factors in one's life, especially when we're talking to a psychologist here. Uh, but personally, I'm going to volunteer that when I was deep into keto, doing the research for the book and trying to do my crazy-ass sprint workouts, and I wasn't listening to Dr. Marker yet, so I wasn't resting enough between intervals, which is another way to blow yourself out, even if you're not going for uh, you know, over 30 seconds. Um, and, and then you know, restricting my carbohydrate intake in the name of the wonderful benefits of ketosis, uh, I believe that it, it conspired to uh, throw me out of stress-rest balance, and I needed to swing that pendulum over to the side of slamming some additional bowls of popcorn, higher carbohydrate intake, Uh, you you talk about fasted workouts, that's great. And then you talk about a different type of workout where maybe you're coming home and and, uh, making uh, a beautiful smoothie like my recovery smoothie that I now go out of my way to hit as soon as I'm done with my sprint workout in the name of promoting that. So fission and fusion, that's a little more scientific than than Brad Kern's rambling here, but uh, I love that pendulum concept.
1: Yeah. The the tricky part is what I haven't figured out yet is timing of it. Um, you know, so I will do a longer fast every once in a while, but, you know, should I be in a week in fission or, a, and then a week in fusion, or is it a day in yeah. each or, you know, those type of things. So I've gotten down to, I was doing kind of starting with week of fission, um, you know, where I do every day, 24 hour fast, one meal a day. And then it became like two or three days. And now I'm kind of down to a one day fission, one day fusion. But I, I'm still trying to figure out the right intervals that, you know, is optimal for us. Um, that's, that I think is going to take that's, some time. But.
0: That, that's huge, man. When When you figure it out. Um, well, we'll have you back on the show to tell the secret to the planet. I mean, Dr. Tia's is deep into this too, and I think has done a lot uh, of effort to figure this stuff out more than anybody. Doing his quarterly five-day fast and measuring everything obsessively, and including his ketone values and his glucose on the on the non-stop, continuous glucose monitor for years and years. And um, yeah, the 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 jury's still out. I'm gonna put in a vote for thinking that if you are hitting a lot of those checkpoints, like the food that Craig does eat after his workout is not uh, junk food from the Winn-Dixie, I think we're well down the road of optimal. And maybe there's not a whole lot more there to discover, uh, especially when we're talking about longevity and things like that, that we're uh, anyone who's in this mix and making an effort is doing pretty well. But it's always exciting to kind of look and see what's the best. Maybe our, uh, our psychological state and our appreciation of the journey and satisfaction with workout patterns is, is also a big factor on the list. I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: It, it certainly could be. I, I think that's, yeah. you know, the more we can measure the more variables. And like you mentioned, uh, Peter Atiyah is, is awesome at measuring things. And I urge everybody to just measure, you know, mm-hmm. the blood test if you can. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of aging tests, uh, like um, like with the Horvath clock and different things. Um, just measure to see if what you're doing works. Um, You know, so I think all those things are important and also sees, it helps you see the long game. Um, Mm. You know, that this is just one experiment that I'm doing now, but I've got, you know, 25 more years of uh, lots of different experiments to try. So if something's not working today, you know, I'm I'm okay with it because I know this is, you know, the long game that that I'm aiming
0: for. So you get twenty five more years of experiments that'll hit you around seventy five, and then what's the following twenty five? You're going to sit back and watch TV or something?
1: No, I probably. I guess I got a lot more years. I just uh, (laughs) randomly threw out twenty five, but hopefully many more.
0: After twenty five more years, then you'll have it dialed. Then the the, another twenty five will just be human optimization, dunking at age eighty, and and so forth.
1: I'm I'm actually just. Following you, I'm I'm waiting to see where you set your high jump record. And I'm like, okay, so I've got a few more years to catch you. And then whatever you set um at the next stage, I'm gonna I'm gonna aim for that. So yeah, my friend I'm JB's
0: just- like one one or two years older than me. He says, I'm going after that 90-year-old high jump record, and then I know you're gonna bust it. But uh <laughs> actually, Craig, the the national record in the high jump for 95 plus is uh it's 0.97 meters. So those of us not familiar with the metric system, that's less than three feet, meaning that if you can jump into bed when you're 95 years old, you will set the national record in the high jump. And I have my sights on that, on that value it. right there. I don't think that's too much to ask.
1: I love it. That is
0: awesome. Uh, thank you so much for spending the time. It was a very a very heavy show with tremendous insights to pull out. I'm going to give you the highest honor and call this a a 1.0X show, meaning you have to listen to it at regular speed instead of most of the shows that I listen to that are 1.75 speed because I have so many that I want to listen to. But then when it starts to get deep, you got to slow down, people. So I want to replay, especially that pendulum commentary that lasted, what, a minute. Go listen to that again because that, I think, is really big for people that are deep into this fitness and health optimization. If we can figure out that pendulum, that's a big deal. Keep up the great work. Uh, do you want to give us some uh, ways to connect with you and and plugs here at the end of the show?
1: I've got I've got no plugs.
0: <laughs> he's just all about he's just all about performance, people.
1: On and, and YouTube, you can check out Strength um, strength.university um, mm. or or search Hypertrophy Conditioning Program if you want more information about that.
0: But, yeah, and we'll put links to your videos and uh, the Hit versus Hurt article and so forth. Keep it up. Thanks, Dr. Craig Marker. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey folks, how about a non-drinker telling you what kind of alcohol you should drink? That's right, it's pseudo sommelier Brad Kearns here to recommend Dry Farm Wines. Why? Because if you choose to drink, I want you to be healthy and make a superior choice to the mainstream commercial wines. Listen to my podcast with Dry Farm Wines founder Todd White. The insights were astonishing, especially that most all commercial wines are loaded with dozens of chemicals that the FDA allows in your wine, but don't have to be listed on the label. And the sugar, oh my goodness, the sugar levels can be as much or more per liter than Coca-Cola, but difficult to taste due to the acidity in the wine. Dry Farm Wines is a membership club where you're shipped hand-picked wines from old-world family-run vineyards in France, Italy, Greece, and Sicily. These wines come from non-irrigated vineyards hundreds of years old that deliver a tastier, higher-antioxidant grape, and they're independent lab-certified to be completely free from chemical additives and naturally 100% sugar-free. That's right. The sugar was allowed to ferment out instead of be arrested by chemical intervention in the name of pleasing the average consumer palate that has a sweet tooth. The Dry Farm Wines Club has taken off like crazy because ancestral and keto enthusiasts, people who care about their health, appreciate a sugar-free wine. You'll enjoy the variety, the taste, and the pleasant sensation in the aftermath of burning through the alcohol buzz and going on with your life without a hangover. So if you care about your carb intake and your overall health dry farm wines has a special promotion for podcast listeners get your first bottle for a penny when you enroll at dryfarmwines.com slash brad or click on the dry farm wines at the bradkerns.com shopping page cheers